Come on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, that powerful name, the name that's able to protect us, the name that's able to lift us and shield us from our enemies. Anybody want to celebrate that awesome name with me? The writer said, the Lord is my strength. He is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, and he is my rock. So let's lift our voices together and shout unto the Morning, Strong Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 1030 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. Good morning, Strong Tower Bible Church. I pray you had a wonderful Christmas day with family and friends, but I also pray that during that day, you took some time in the middle of opening gifts and having a great time with family and friends to meditate upon the great gift that God gave us, the gift of eternal life through the birth of his son, his death, and his resurrection, that we have eternal life with him and we have forgiveness of our sin with him. And as a result of that, we are able to enjoy and endure through what's going on this earth, even through this pandemic, and even through this very trying time. This is our last Sunday of the month, and we dedicate the last Sunday of the month to be Benevolent Sunday. But this is also the last Sunday of the, of the year, and that's significant in two ways. We take our benevolence offering, and we use that to benefit and to help those in our community, both in our church and outside of our church, who are experiencing difficulty. And this year, we've been able to help folks all the way from the tornado in the spring through the summer with the pandemic, and also folks are just experiencing some needs through food insecurities of other issues that have come up, health issues. And we've done that through your blessing of the, of the uh, Benevolence Fund. So I ask you, as the year is about to end, for you to take some time, pray to the Lord, and see how He wants to move you to give, what He wants you to do. Do you want, to give, um, you want, to, give, want to give to be over and above your regular offering, but something that makes a difference in the life of those that uh, we try to touch. So we thank you for blessing us so that we can bless others. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to bless those that are in need as I pray. Dear Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for how you've allowed us to help those. We thank you, Lord, for those that have come to us in need. And we thank you, Lord, we've been able to touch those needs, not only by food or a check, but also sit and pray with them. So, Lord, as we get these funds this year, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment in how we can distribute them, how we can reach more people throughout the year through the generosity of your people. We thank you. We love you, Lord. This we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Good morning, Strong Tower Bible Church. I do hope you had a wonderful and merry, merry Christmas in the midst of a very messy season in our lives. But God has been faithful, has he not? So let's turn into his word to get a message today from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and as you're turning there, I'm going to say a prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to hear from you, to get closer to you, to know a little bit more about you, to be reminded of why we believe in who we believe, to have our faith strengthened this morning. Lord, would you use me in spite of myself? Would you teach and preach the message that you would have your people to hear through my lips of clay? I thank you that your grace superabounds right now in this moment so that your people can get a word from you through a cracked vessel. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that this word would meet them right where they are, that they would be encouraged to go on that they will realize, Lord, that although this year has been difficult, you have still been the Lord of this year and you will be the Lord of next year because you are the Lord of all. And so we bless you. We thank you. Increase our faith and our desire to obey you. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. As we come close to the celebration of a new year of 2021, I can't help but go back in my mind to when I was growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, 
um, as a product of the Baptist church. Not only the Baptist church, but the black Baptist church that has various cultural um, experiences and expressions as a part of its function. And one of those cultural expressions was watch night service. I remember as a young boy, we would go to church on December 31st around 10 o'clock p.m. And we would have a worship service and we would uh, sit and watch and wait for the new year to come. And we would do the countdown and all of that. And we would do that. Now, now as a young boy, I really didn't understand what watch night was all about. Um, it, it, it usually, if I'm honest, it, it was kind of dreary. It was something that I felt that the pastors would use to make sure that God's people were in the church on New Year's Eve night, as opposed to being in a club somewhere on New Year's Eve night. It seemed like it was a, uh, a, a legalistic way to try to impose religion on the people of God and to make sure they stayed away from all kinds of carnal and fleshly indulgences. So you were cooped up in a church on the night before the new year. Oh boy, but boy, uh, was I wrong. That was not the purpose of Watch Night Service. Watch Night Service finds its beginnings and its origins way back in 1862. Matter of fact, December 31st, 1862. And that was when my ancestors, my enslaved ancestors, uh, sat and watched for a new day to come on January 1st, 1863. And so they watched for January 1st. Why? Because that was the day the Emancipation Proclamation was to go into effect, freeing slaves who were enslaved in Confederate states. Uh, this decree that was issued by Abraham Lincoln. But we do know later in 1865, when the 13th Amendment was passed, that was the official legal, legal ending of slavery. But the proclamation, uh, the, the, the slaves were thankful for that document. And they sat up all night with great anticipation, knowing that they would step into 1863 no longer slaves. So they watched for freedom through the night. And so that became a tradition in the black church, especially the black Baptist church, where many congregations would get together and wait for a new year. And today, being the final Sunday of 2020, we are watching and waiting for a new year. We're believing God for something better and definitely something different going into 2021. But what if more unprecedented pain awaits us in 2021? I know, I know, I don't want to be a, a, a killjoy this morning. And I know that we think that when the calendar flips, everything from 2020 will go away and we're facing a brand new year come January 1. But my question is, what if the things in 2020 follow us into 2021? And chances are they will. Because there is no ending right now to COVID-19. We know there's a vaccine, but there, this thing has not ended yet. And we know that some people won't even be able to get a vaccination in this country until June of 2021. So we see that although a new year is coming, old things are probably still going to happen. This means that the unprecedented pain that we've experienced in 2020 will more than likely follow us into 2021. And not only the pain from things in the environment brought about by COVID. But what about the pain in your life brought about by happenstance, or should I say by circumstance that God has allowed to visit your life? Uh, some of us who are dealing with other kinds of uh, maladies in our bodies, those of us who are limping through life because of things that the Lord has allowed us to experience that break our hearts, 
that break our bank accounts, that, that have been breaking our bodies, breaking relationships. And we're wondering how much more can we endure before we have a breakdown? Do we have to carry that into a new year? And, and, and more than likely, we will have to carry these things. Because in the Western church, very rarely do we have a sound theology of suffering, of how to handle suffering, and not to be surprised when God allows suffering to come upon his saints, to come upon his children. What I mean is, it's a very real thing when suffering is a part of our destiny. Now, a lot of times we don't like to hear that. And again, in the Western church, people will prophesy everything else but suffering. It's always prosperity. It's always you're going to get a new this or a bigger that or a better this. But very rarely do we hear as part of our destiny that there will be suffering, maybe even unprecedented suffering. Well, um, as we'll see today, unprecedented pain was a part of Jesus and Mary's destiny. All because a man named Simeon came into the temple and gave them what I call a messed up prophecy. Yes, yes, he gave them a messed up prophecy of their future, of their destiny. So today as we close out 2020 and I close out my series about a messed up or, or rather a, a uh, Merry Christmas, it could be entitled a messed up 2020. Um, we're going to look at this messed up prophecy that Simeon gives to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. So let's begin reading at verse 25 of Luke chapter 1. The Bible reads from the New King James Version, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let me stop and pause. Mary and Joseph um, are taking Jesus into the temple after he has been circumcised, and now they are offering him back to the Lord according to Old Testament law and tradition. And because they can't afford a lamb in their offering, they are allowed, because provision has been made in the law for people of lesser means, they are allowed to bring in birds or turtle doves or pigeons as an offering to the Lord. As they are saying to God, Lord, we're giving you our son, which truly is your son. And we're acknowledging that fact because he belongs to you and not to us. And here is our offering to you. And so they're going into the temple. And when they go into the temple, they run into this man, Simeon, who appears to be an old man who is on his way to death's door. But God is going to make a promise to him, which we'll see in a moment. But what I want you to know is that God has his people everywhere. And many times they're not going to look like what we think they should look like. But they have a way of showing up. They have a way of being there. They have a way of even uh, influencing our life because Mary and Joseph had never seen this man before. But this man, Simeon, whom the Bible says was just, that's a way of saying that he was righteous or he had a faith in God whereby God justified him. He was a saint under the old covenant. He was a saint, if you will, under the Old Testament. He was a believer in God and one who awaited God's Messiah to come. So he was just and he was devout, which means that he was devoted to God and the things of God. So in a time where there was this 400 year period of prophetic silence, there were still people who loved God people who waited on God, people who were devoted to God. And it says that this man was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is the consolation of Israel? Well, the consolation of Israel speaks to the, the arrival of the Messiah for Israel, the way that Israel, the nation, would be consoled or comforted by the arrival of the Messiah. 
Comfort ye, the Old Testament says, comfort my people. So the consolation or the comfort of Israel uh, occurs with the coming of the Messiah, the long awaited and anticipated Messiah. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, which again speaks profoundly because at this time, the Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out on all flesh. He's only been poured out on some flesh, once again, under the old covenant. The spirit would rest on prophets, priests, kings, judges, and a few other isolated individuals. And his resting under the old covenant was conditional and even temporary. Uh, but thank God for the new covenant, whereby Jesus ascended to heaven, poured out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, and he, his presence would not be conditional or temporary, but we would be sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. But here comes a man who is very rare during that time. He is just, he is devout, he is waiting for the consolation of Israel or the coming of the Messiah to comfort the nation and the Holy Spirit is upon him. So he is a different individual. And it says in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God gave him a special word of revelation. God shared a secret with this man named Simeon and the spirit spoke to him and said to him, you will not die until you lay your eyes on the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, so he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And so Simeon, this stranger who's led by the spirit, who's filled with the spirit, who, who listens to the spirit, who receives promises from the spirit, that he's going to see the Christ child before he dies. So somehow the text doesn't tell us how the spirit reveals to him that this child is the Christ, because I'm sure Mary and Joseph weren't the only people who had a child that needed to be dedicated to the Lord in the temple that day. And so somehow the spirit showed Simeon who the Christ child was uh, probably very much. So how the spirit, showed John the Baptist who the Christ was when Jesus began his earthly ministry, when the spirit descended on the Lord like a dove. And so, so, so there are things that the text doesn't tell us, but somehow, some way, this man was able to lay his eyes on the Son of God in human flesh. And as we read here, it says that he then blesses God for this experience. So I've just got a couple of points to share with you. And the first point is that Simeon blesses God. So let's read now in verse 28 and 29 again. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to Gentiles, to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So Simeon, who knows he's about to die, but has been given a promise he's going to see the Christ child before he dies, takes up this baby in his arms and, and, and look how trusting Joseph and Mary are that they let this stranger take their son. But they must have been also tuned into the Holy Spirit in that wonderful moment, that surreal moment. Um, and, and he begins to bless God holding baby Jesus in his arms. And as he blesses God and thanks God and praises God, I love how he says that this child has come for all peoples verse 31, and that he will be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In other words, this child has come for 
everyone. He has come to save everybody who wants to be saved, no matter where you come from, whether you are a Gentile or whether you are Jewish, that Jesus has come. So, so this is a picture, strong tower, of God's diverse kingdom. Again, we see the intentionality and the inclusivity of all peoples in the son and because of this son, because this son, this child, this babe came for everyone, not just for Jews, not just for Greeks or Gentiles, but for the world. So that's, again, the beauty of the gospel. And it's a reminder of the beauty of the Christmas message. So Simeon, he's blessing God that he gets to see the Lord's salvation with his eyes. Now, he's in a unique place because he got to see the Christ child. Others got to see the, the son of man or, or Christ, you know, when he came into adulthood and they witnessed his ministry and they got to see him. They got to look on him. And as the apostle John said, handle him and touch him. And there's a blessing in that. But I love how Jesus told Thomas, who said, I will not believe that Jesus has risen unless I can see him for myself and touch the, the wounds in his side. And when Jesus appeared to Thomas and Thomas didn't even have to touch the Lord, he just looked at the Lord and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are you, Thomas, because you have believed because you've seen but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And my brothers and sisters, that's you and that's me. We haven't seen Jesus with our physical eyes. We haven't seen the resurrected Christ. We haven't looked upon his nail scarred resurrected body. But we believe in him because we've seen him with the eyes of our heart. We've seen him by faith. We've trusted him by faith. And because of that, the Lord said there, there's a blessing on believers because of their faith. I'm blessed today. I know that I know that I know that I know Jesus Christ is my Lord, my God, my Savior, my King, my everything, my deliverer by faith. Even though I haven't seen him with my eyes, I know he is my God. And I hope that that is your testimony also this morning because there's a blessing on your life. But let's go into the second point. Not only, not only does Simeon bless God, but Simeon blesses Joseph and Mary. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them. Stop and pause. Simeon blessed them. He blessed this young couple with this major uh, colossal calling on their lives to be the parents of the Christ child. You know, whenever we dedicate children here at Strong Tower, we remind the parents that although God allowed you to give birth to this child, this child technically doesn't belong to you. Uh, this child, uh, uh, the, the, the fruit of the womb is the Lord's reward. So these gifts come from God, especially our children. And so during a dedication at Strong Tower, we remind parents of that, that your child ultimately belongs to God. And this dedication is a way of you giving the child back. It's a way of you acknowledging who this child really belongs to. And that also leads to something, or at least it ought to, and that it ought to lead to giving you the parent peace. Because by giving the child to God, you're saying, God, do with my child what only you can do. Do with my child what I cannot do. So that when my child, if my child should ever go astray, I know that I dedicated this child to you and I acknowledge the fact that this child is yours and you can touch his or her heart more than I ever could. So the, the, the dedication is really to put the parents at ease and at peace. Uh, we have a responsibility in raising them, but the ultimate responsibility is not up to us, it's up to God. And so as Mary and Joseph went into the temple, this really was a reminder to them that this child does not belong to you. This is God's child. For unto us a child is born, for unto us the son is given. And so they are reminded afresh for the first time, as they're going to have to be reminded every day of their son's life that their son is not their son. And so they need a blessing. They need a word of encouragement. 
and Simeon, who the Holy Spirit has been upon, who has told him that this is the Christ child. He now has a word of blessing for the couple. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what he said to the couple, but this word bless is the word eulageo, where we get the English word eulogy from. And a eulogy is a time where we say kind things about someone who has departed. We say good things. We say encouraging things about the deceased. And so a eulageo is uh, Simeon saying kind things, uh, encouraging things to Mary and Joseph because they are going to need it. So he speaks a positive word on them. But then for this third and final point, he's going to take a left turn. He's going to go from blessing or praising God and from blessing and encouraging the couple to now giving a prophetic word to Mary. He's going to give a prophetic word to Mary. Look again at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so Simeon, as I mentioned, he takes a left turn, if you will, and he speaks a prophetic word, not to Mary and Joseph, but to Mary. And some scholars say that he speaks this to Mary because by the time Jesus begins his earthly ministry, Joseph will be deceased. Because when you read the New Testament record, you don't see a mention of Joseph pretty much after the birth story. And there's an episode when Jesus is about 12 years old and he goes away from the caravan and he goes to the temple and the parents are looking for him and Mary and Joseph find him in the temple. But pretty much after that, you don't read of Joseph again. And so Simeon gives a word to Mary, who's going to become a single mom, a single parent, um, trying her best to lead this child who came to be the leader of the world. And so he prophesies to her. And there are three things I see in this prophecy that I hope you can see with me. The first thing in this prophecy that he gives to her is he's talking to her about a stone, a stone, because look with me at verse 34, where it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined. The destiny of this child is for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Your son is going to make people stumble. Your son is also going to make people stand. Based on their relationship to your son, it will determine their destiny, whether they're going to be people who fall or people who stand. And this is Old Testament imagery of a stone or what the Bible calls a rock of offense. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, it says about the Messiah, he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And Peter picked this up later in 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe verse 8, when he talks about Jesus Christ being a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So Jesus is either a stumbling stone for you or he's a standing stone for you. In other words, either he is going to fall on you and crush your life or you're going to stand on him and live a new life. He is the stone that we must all deal with. Psalm 118 verse 22 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The builders, many in the nation of Israel, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they rejected Jesus. They rejected the stone, but the stone that they rejected and cast away ended up being the chief cornerstone on which the building, the church, is built upon. So they cast away the most important stone in anyone's life. But I thank God for the fact that the builders may have rejected him, but the believers surely accepted him. Oh my God. 
You're going to have to deal with Jesus. Uh, you're going to life's greatest question is, who is the Christ to you? Uh, what do you think of Jesus Christ? And if you uh, uh, do not accept him, you will stumble because of him. And so you have a choice to make. He is the stone you will either stumble on or he is the stone who will allow you to rise. Can I tell you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 23? Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Stop right there. Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews then and even now. There are Jewish people who have good hearts. They're good people, but they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with their distant relative. They don't want to hear anything about crosses because over the years, the Jewish people have been blamed for the death of Jesus Christ. And as a result, there have been people who have persecuted Jews under that uh, uh, so-called motivation. But the truth is, everyone contributed to the death of Jesus Christ. The Jews and Gentiles then and all people from Adam until now. We've all contributed to the death of Jesus Christ because of our sins. So one nation should not be blamed for the death of Jesus Christ. But again, if we really understand scripture, we know that the death of Jesus Christ was prophesied and it had to happen. Amen. Thank God for that. But for the Jews, when we start talking to them about Jesus, this is still a, a, a sensitive topic for them. Um, um, they, they don't accept nor embrace Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. And so Paul says in Romans, that as Gentiles, our love of the Lord who descended from Israel, our love of the Lord, who is a Hebrew, who is a Jewish man, uh, uh, our love for him, one of their own, ought to cause them to be jealous and want to embrace him the way that we embrace the Messiah. So I pray that Lost Jewish people can see in you and see in me a respect for their people, a respect for their culture, and above all, a love for one of their descendants who is the Messiah of the world, Jesus Christ, my God. But until they believe Jesus is a stumbling stone to them and to the Greeks, he's foolishness. The Greeks, unbelievers, the world, Gentiles, to believe that God sent his son into the world to die on the cross for the sins of mankind and have to, to rise from the dead. That's foolishness to many unbelievers. It doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't add up to them. And because of uh, th their mindset, they also stumble over Christ. But can I read verse 24? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So not everybody is tripping. <laughs> not everybody is stumbling because of Christ. There are some people who have risen because of Christ. There are some people who are standing today because of Jesus. And they're Jewish and they're Gentile. And if I go down the stream of Gentile, they're African slash African black American. Thank God for Jesus. I hope that he's the stone that you're standing on. But the prophecy goes a little deeper as we go back to Luke chapter 2. Again, verse 34. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Do you see that? So not only will your child, Mary, be a stone, he will also be a sign and this sign will be spoken against. In other words, there's something negative about this sign. And as we peruse the New Testament, we understand that this sign, which will be spoken against, is the cross on which Jesus died upon. That's the sign. That is what was spoken against. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, and in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 
Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus hung on a tree. Jesus hung on a cross. And because of that, he was cursed. Why was he cursed or cursed on the cross? Because the book of Leviticus lets us know that those who don't obey the law are under a curse. That's all of us. We break the law in all points every day. And we are under a curse called sin and death, separation from God. So we're cursed. And so God loves us so much that he sent his son to break the curse, to bring us back to him. And so on the cross, Jesus took our curse upon his body by becoming cursed, a cursed thing on the cross, a despised thing on the cross. He became the scapegoat for our sin. He was the one who died for us and in our place. And what should have come upon us by way of the curse came upon Christ by way of the curse. So cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world. He took our sins in his body. So there would be a sign which would be spoken against. And when we think about this Messiah, he would be spoken against during his earthly ministry. Constantly, he would be ridiculed and chided and disrespected and rejected by the people. Constantly in his ministry, he would be spoken against. But especially when we look at the culmination of his ministry, when he hung on the cross, they spoke against him there. While he was dying and suffering on the cross, rather than people having compassion, Rather than people being broken, rather than people being considerate and humble, they chose to do this based on Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 and 40. And those who passed by, blaspheming him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And so they were speaking against him as he hung on the cross. So Simeon's prophecy is not positive. Not immediately. It will be in the long run. Because we know that after the cross came a grave, which would be empty in three days. But they're speaking against Jesus on the cross. But thirdly, in the midst of Simeon's prophecy, not only is there a stone, not only is there a sign, but there's also a sword. There's a sword. So look with me in verse 35. This is a parenthetical comment where it says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So Simeon, who takes Mary aside, gives Mary a specific prophetic word about the son that she has just given birth to, the Messiah, the son of God in human form. He says to her that your soul, Mary, your soul is going to be pierced also with a sword. What does this mean? Mary, Simeon is saying to her, as your son suffers, you will also suffer. A sword will pierce your soul as the nails pierce his hands and his feet. A sword will pierce your soul as a spear pierces his side. A sword will pierce your soul as a crown of thorns pierces his head. Mary, you will hurt emotionally as your son hurts physically. Mary, there's going to be pain also for you as you look on your son hanging there, bleeding and bludgeoned, pierced in his hands and his feet. Your heart, your soul is also going to be pierced because what mother 
wants to see her child suffer. It just hits a little bit differently for moms than it does for dads. Not that dads don't hurt, but moms have a unique relationship with their children because they shed blood to bring them into this world. They nurse them many times at their breasts. They, they have this unique kind of experience with the child and relationship with the child that, that dads can't always get into. And so Simeon says to Mary, there's going to be pain in your future. Pain is a part of your destiny. Now, here, here's my question. Here's my question. As he's telling her about this pain that her child and that she's going to experience, why didn't Gabriel tell her about this kind of pain when he showed up and told her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah? You know, he told her all the good things that your son is going to be uh, from the Most High. He, he's going to take the throne of uh, his father David and on and on and on and on. But he didn't tell her about the pain that was part of her destiny to carry the Christ child. Here's why I believe he didn't tell her when, when he first gave her the assignment. Because had she known that there was pain that would come as a result of raising the Christ child, she might not have accepted the assignment. Which is why Gabriel didn't tell her. But Simeon is going to tell her now after having given birth to the child. I say that because if the Lord would have told us some of the pain we would experience by walking with him, some of us would have said, I don't want to take that walk, Lord. If the Lord would have told us all that we would lose in 2020, some of us would have said, Lord, I, I don't want to go into 2020. If the Lord had told me when he called me to preach in 1987, calling me into the ministry, had he told me all the stuff I would suffer and go through being a minister of the word and a sh shepherd of God's sheep, I probably would have turned down the assignment. Not only for what it's done to me, but what it, how it's affected my family. I wouldn't have accepted it. But God knows you got to walk by faith and so do I. Because, you know, in terms of our marriages, for those of us who are married, if some of us would have known some of the pain that was going to happen in our marriage, if God would have told us before the wedding day, we would not have gotten married. But I guess that's why the marriage covenant, like anything else for a Christian, must be entered into by faith. By faith and not by sight and not by feeling. You've got to go at it by faith. And you've got to be able, I've got to be able to look at the things that are not seen because the things that are not seen are eternal, whereas the things that are seen with my eyes are temporary. Trouble don't last always. So faith must always inform my feelings. But God doesn't always tell us what we're about to get into because God knows many of us would not get into it. And so Mary is going to see her son suffer. Oh, John chapter 19 brings this to light for us, beginning at verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. And so we have Jesus on the cross, his last moments and minutes of life, having the, the heart and the wherewithal to care for his mother, to say, Mama, here I am. Behold your son. What Simeon spoke when Jesus was a babe has now come to pass with Jesus as a grown man. And no doubt 
Mary's soul is pierced looking at her son. And Jesus says, behold your son. In other words, if I can break this down in my understanding, I believe the Lord is saying on that cross, mama, look at me. Mama, look at what sin has done to me. Mama, look at what they have done to me. Mama, look at your son. And then he says to John, John, I need you to take care of my mama. Mama, behold your son now. John's going to take care of you. What an amazing Savior. As he's saving the world, as he's on the cross saving you and me, he wants to minister to his mother and make sure she's taken care of. Now that's God. My, my, my. There's a scene in The Passion of the Christ. I know that it's a fictitious narrative. But there's a scene in it where after Jesus has been uh, scourged by the Romans in the courtyard, they take him away and then Mary goes in, his mother, and she begins to wipe up his blood. that's, That's a very staggering scene because no parent, again, wants to see his child, her child, suffer. My mind goes back to a time when uh, we had had Dante, our first child. And uh, as Dante was growing, we realized that he needed to have tubes put into his ears. And so that would be a surgery. And as new parents, you know, we had never walked through this before. And so we were nervous. Um, we, 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 We were frightened. And I remember when they rolled Dante out of the room to take him into the place for surgery. They rolled him out of the room and I was left behind and I felt so helpless. And I fell on the floor where his bed was and I just began to weep uncontrollably. And I'm crying out to God, asking God to cover my son to protect my son. This is the the first child I've ever had. I'll have others later, but man, Lord. mm. So I can't imagine what it's like to have to bury a child, what it's like to have to see what Mary saw. It truly is a sword that pierces the soul. Well, the song, Blessed Be Your Name, written by Matt and Beth Redmond says in one of the verses, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Oh, church, there are times where God has marked out a lane or a path of suffering for us. I don't understand why a good God allows painful things to happen to us. I know we live in a fallen world with fallen people and fallen systems, and we are all susceptible. In fact, God did not even let his son get away from experiencing pain in a fallen world with fallen systems and fallen people so that Jesus can understand or rather so that, yes, so that Jesus can understand what we're going through because he's been here. And it also causes us to look forward to the new world that will have no death, no sorrow, no sickness, no sadness whatsoever in it. But many times there are roads marked with suffering and and there's pain in our offering. No wonder the Bible encourages us to offer a sacrifice of praise. Even though there was the promise of a sword, there's an unspoken promise of hope and a resurrection. He tells her about a sword, but if Mary knows her word, which it appears that she does, she also realized that Psalm 16 verses 10 through 11 speak of a brighter day, a better day. It says, for you will not leave my soul, speaking of the Messiah, in Sheol, or the place of the dead, 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence, Father, is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David wrote this prophetically about the Messiah who would not be dead long enough for his body to suffer decay and decomposition. But he would get up on the third day and be back in the path of life, back in the presence of the Father, where there's fullness of joy for Jesus, and he would be at the right hand of the Father. Where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father. So although a sword would pierce Mary's soul, because nails would pierce the Messiah, that's not how the story ends, meaning that when Jesus got up bodily from the grave, I'm trying to work this to a close right now, he would appear to the disciples, one of which was his mother. So his mother's agony would now turn into victory. Her sorrow would turn into rejoicing and dancing because Jesus got up and defeated hell, death, sin, Satan, and the grave. So although there was a piercing of the soul, there would be new joy in the soul because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as believers who we've lost people this year, we know people who've lost people this year. And as believers, we can say, based on the profession of faith of our departed loved ones who knew the Lord, we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Jesus, the pierced one, conquered sin, death, and the grave. And it has no victory. It stung, but it didn't stick because Jesus got up from the grave. You see, the sword of suffering is real, but so is the power of God, which is found in the person of God and in the gospel of God. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So yes, the sword is real, but so is the power of God. God allows the sword so that we can know he is the savior. God allows pain so that we can know he is our peace. God allows hurt so that we can know in a real way that he is our healer. God even allows COVID so that we can know he is our conqueror. And God allows death so that we can know he is our deliverer. We all want a happy new year, and I pray that we will have a happy new year. But what if God has more unprecedented pain for, for us in 2021? And if that ends up being the case, will you still remain faithful to him? Will the trouble, the suffering cause you to fall away from him? Being evidence that you were never rooted in him. Because Jesus said in the parable of the seed and the soil. That there would be some folk who they would stand for a little while, but when tribulation comes, they fall away. And if 2021 is anything like 2020, there are going to be some people who are going to throw in the towel. And they're going to say, I can't do this anymore. And I'm just going to say to you, where else are you going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? What you going to turn to? A bottle? What you going to turn to? A person? What are you going to turn to besides the Lord? Stay with him. Stick with him. Remain in him. My God. So to the unbeliever, don't cross over into 2021 without embracing the one 
who embraced and endured the cross for you. If you're an unbeliever, don't cross over into 2021 without embracing the one who embraced that cross for you. The time is now for you to become a believer. Like Simeon, you must see God's salvation for yourself. And God's salvation is found in his son. And you must see him. You must trust him by faith. And if that's you, why don't you just say, Lord, I, I want to be saved. God, I want to be a believer. Lord, I repent. I turn from the way I've lived my life and doing what I want to do. And I come to you. Lord, save me. I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sins, and you were buried and that you rose from the dead by faith. I trust you as my Savior. If you've never done that, now is the time. Trust the Lord. Believe on Christ before you cross over into another year without Christ. Trust him. Trust him now. And finally, to all believers in Jesus, don't cross over into 2021 and leave your cross in 2020. What I mean, I mean that when Jesus called us to be his disciples, he gave each and every one of us a cross to carry. And a cross was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of suffering. So Jesus was saying that as you follow me, there's going to be suffering. The, the, the way is going to be paved with suffering. And he tells us, pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. And some of us, we're tired of suffering. We're tired of suffering for righteousness. We're tired of doing the right thing and, get it treated, and getting treated wrongly. We're tired of suffering in silence and in darkness. We're, we're tired of this path of following Jesus and we're tempted to put the cross down. But I encourage you, don't, don't you cross over into 2021 without taking your cross over. He gave you, he gave me a monogram cross when we became his disciples. And we can't trade it in, we can't turn it back. Matter of fact, there's a story that's told of a Christian who was tired of carrying his cross. There was just too much suffering, too much pain, too much loss, too much negativity. So this Christian would complain and complain to God saying, God, my cross is too heavy for me. I can't carry this anymore. So the story is that God sent Gabriel to talk to this complaining Christian. And Gabriel took this Christian into a room, said, follow me, bring your cross with you, follow me. And so that Christian drags his cross that's so heavy. Uh, he drags his cross that's so thorny and cumbersome. And, and oh, he drags his cross into this room and he looks in the room and the room is filled with crosses, all kinds of crosses, big crosses, crosses so high and tall, he can't even see the tops of them. There's blood on these crosses. And he's walking around the room because Gabriel says to him, pick out another cross. Since you're tired of carrying yours, pick out another one. And he's walking around this room of crosses and he doesn't see one to his liking because that one's too big that one's too large that one's too bloody and he's about to give up until he sees another cross leaning against the door and it's smaller than every other cross in this room and so the man says to Gabriel he says yeah that's the cross I want right there I want that one. And Gabriel says, are you sure? And the man says, I am sure. I want that. I can manage that cross. And Gabriel says to him, well, my friend, that's the same cross you brought into this room. I'm here to let you know 
You may think that what you're carrying is too much for you, but it's not too much for God. You may think that the cross that God has given you is unfair. But think about the cross that God gave his son. That was not fair. Bolster your faith. Get your focus back on the Lord. Stop complaining. I know it's hurt, hurting. Cry, but don't complain. And somewhere in there, can you say, thank you, God, for this path of suffering. Thank you, God, for this cross that I got to carry. This sword that's piercing my soul. Because it reminds me of the nails that pierce your body. It reminds me also that you were despised and rejected. But it also reminds me of your resurrection in the hope of a better day for me as a child of God. Yeah, it was a messed up prophecy, but it's also a blessed up future that Mary, Jesus, and all of the Lord's believers are now a part of. Let's pray. Father, thank you that even when things are hard, even when hard things are prophesied to us from the Bible, that weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Lord, would you allow us to make it through the night of 2021 and get into the morning and the joy of 2021? Would you get us through the night of 2020 and into the joy of 2021? And more than likely, there'll be more darkness for us and more pain in 2021. There's never been a year without suffering. And for many of us, there's hardly a day without extreme suffering. But may we tap into the fact that your grace is sufficient. So thank you, Dad. We love you. And we go forward by faith in Jesus' name, knowing that you're with us. And you won't leave us, nor forsake us. And you will not give us more than we can bear and that you can bear through us. And all those who have faith, can you say, amen. <laughs> amen. Thank you, Lord. So now let's receive our benediction. And let's thank the Lord for, again, another day, another year. And we pray for his mercies to visit us. So would you stand wherever you are? At home, let's stand up and let's receive this blessing. May the Lord smile upon you. May his grace be upon you. May he lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. May he cause you to prosper and to experience the abundant life which he promised. Might he be your healer if you are sick. Might he be your comforter and an encourager if you're discouraged. Might he be your compass if you've lost the way. Might he be your provider if you stand in need. Might he be your everything because that is exactly who he is, your everything. Be blessed, people of God. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. And let me tell you before someone else tells you, Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower. Seven, eight,